you're in with the ghost of radio. Welcome back to this, our shared podcast, all about, all for, mid-century horror radio. Good to see you all back again around the cauldron, filled with episodes of mid-century horror radio. As we wind our way to the conclusion of season six, do we need to explain who we are? And what we do, maybe just a little bit, it's always somebody's first time around this cauldron. What we do here is study the ins and outs of a radio genre that went from 1932 to about 1982. That's our mid-century. That was devoted, when it was very good, to spooky questions about the nature of reality. Sure, they might actually involve ghosts or other kinds of supernatural beings, monsters, science, whatever monster you'd like to have. Sometimes they were just about human horror, the horror that we inflict on each other. At their best, they made us question everything and gave us a spooked-out feeling that we value. Were they always at their best? No, but what genre is? So we listen at random each week. We gather together here. We hit some clips. We discuss We make sense. We enjoy. Let's do that. All right. This week, our episode is called Out the Window, and it is from Suspense. Out the Window. Go out to the internet. Open it on Windows, if that's your setup. And type in relicradio.com. You will find that episode there on either The Horror or Strange Tales, one of their two podcast channels. Or go to the Internet Archive at archive.org. And the fastest way there is to type in a non-tracking search engine, Suspense Radio Single Episodes. And soon you will find it. It will find you. And you will be listening in your own way and time. We don't spend time listening to the episode together here. Takes up too much of our valuable cauldron time. You can listen anywhere, and you're going to listen more than once. Do that as you will. Come back here for the highlights and the sense-making. That's the money melon. You'll be listening again and again. So we're not concerned about that. You're also free to just stay right here and listen and go back and hear the episode later if you like. What do we always say around here? Despite the show we're listening to this week, suspense is not everything. All right, off you go. See you soon. Okay, we are all back from listening to Out the Window from Suspense, and what did you make of it? (sighs) Did you fall for it? Be honest, you can be honest here. I fell for it. The first time I heard this episode, I completely fell for it. It wasn't until he got to the airport that I even started to begin to grok that I was being taken for a ride. And I kind of hope the same thing happened to you. Not just so I will feel better, but because that is the magic of this story. This story has some hideous elements in it that make us want to kick something. And we will get to that. But it is also ambitious in its plot and pretty well done. 
So it's a mixed bag here, but it's very intriguing. Let's jump into the intro. And then we're going to figure out where exactly this story really begins and where this story really ends so it can begin. And now, another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. We take you to the 21st floor of a metropolitan office building and out the window by William N. Robeson. Suspense was on for 20 years. It was the longest running of the mid-century series. And this is from May of 1960. So it ran from 42 to 62. This is in the closing years of Suspense. And they got very lean and very spare by the end of that run. And I have bad-mouthed late run Suspense before, but if you can get through the most of the 1950s and you get up to those last three years, they started to do some very innovative stuff. So I take back what I said before. And sometimes they were not fooling around and they like to be very direct. No sponsor intro here, no time wasting, right into the story. And the announcer's voice is very threatening, like it's very harsh. You're just thrown in to the steep water. Now, you know from listening, or if you go to listen, that the story begins with Commissioner Walchek being confronted by these two men. And we are led to believe that he foils their attempt on his life and begins an ever downward spiral journey to the end of his life by someone else's hands. In reality, maybe by the time he gets to the airport, you realize that something very different happened. Let me play for you the beginning of the story. Let me play for you the only action of the story that actually happens with Commissioner Walchek alive. Commissioner Walchek got up from his desk. Behind him was an open window. In front of him, quite close to him, were two hard-eyed men. Granite, small, shifty, quick in his movements. Bruzy, huge, slow, somewhat stupid. Granite, the brains. Bruzy, the muscle. Commissioner Walchek faced them, defied them, his back to a window 21 floors above the street. No. What did you say, Commissioner? I said no. No more graft. No more civic corruption. No more pigs at the public trough. You sound like one of your campaign speeches. Only this time I mean it. How come, Commissioner? Let's just say I can't stand the face I have to shave every morning. You could cut its throat. I've thought of that, but I guess I haven't the guts. We have, Commissioner. We've got plenty of guts. We put you in this job, Walchick. We expect you to do your duty by us and the party. If you don't feel like it anymore, that's okay. You can get out out the window. You can't frighten me. I wouldn't think of it. Walchek, I'm not a very emotional person. Neither is Bruzy. We're practical, very practical. There won't be a sign of us left here. The commissioner fell from the window of his office on the 21st floor, the papers will say. Ill health, 
Worry over threatened scandals in his administration. And there will be scandals, Commissioner. We'll see to that. Your reputation will outlive you, and it will be difficult for your wife to live with it. Why must she suffer my honesty? I can't say, since she can continue to enjoy the fruits of your dishonesty as long as you are willing. I will not. I cannot continue like this. That is your final word? It is. You're an idiot. Go ahead, Brucey. Push him out the window. No, wait. Isn't there another way? I leave town, leave the country, disappear. You can have it. The administration, the party. I... We don't want it. We only want to run it. Is there no getting away from you? No. Change your mind? No. And you've only got one out. Out to the window. You'll have to do it. Go ahead, Brucey. Yes. Come on, Brucey. One good shove. That's all it takes, mister. One man again. And Brucey killed him. Everything in the rest of this story is what flashes through his mind in the one and a half seconds it takes him to fall. That's pretty good. And I think that you are not meant to and you do not get that until the story gets more and more and more cartoonish, until finally he is at the airport and it's clearly not for real. Up until that point, you think you are kind of listening to an adventure story. And the only thing that might tip you off are the names. Granite for the tough guy and bruisey. <laughs> Admit that the first time you listen to it, you think, I cannot believe somebody thought they could name this character Bruzy, and they just keep saying it and keep saying it. Oh, right. That was the first cartoonish element that should have tipped us off. Now, you may say, well, that name is used throughout from the very start. So, was there ever any point at which this was a real story? Even the way they keep saying Commissioner Wolchek makes you think that somehow that name is encoded to be unreal. Is it because he's a city commissioner, but he has a, quote, ethnic name? <sighs> Doubt is cast on reality from the start. But hey, maybe that's because this guy is a fake. He's a corrupt politician who ran by saying things he did not mean, and he has not been doing his job, and he has been lying to people. So before these two men even come into his office to kill him, he is a fake, and he is unreal, and he is more cartoon than real man. He stopped being a real person a long time ago. So of course he has to be done in by two guys named Granite and Boozy. <laughs> Boozy? No, Bruzy. I'm surprised there wasn't someone named Boozy. No. And this is a, a good conceit. I like it. Let's hear him talking his first fake interaction. Well, every interaction he's had has been fake for a long time, his wife will say. But his first fake interaction in his one and a half second descent from his own window. 
Going down, Commissioner? Yes, please. Terrible, terrible thing just happened. What's that? Oh, man, just fell out of a window. Do they know which one? Oh, must have been pretty high. He was badly broken up. Identified? Isn't enough left of him. Must have been high. You know, funny thing, though. What? Nobody's reported it from any of the offices. Uh, if nobody saw him go and uh, nobody's missing, it'll take all day to check all the offices in the building. Nobody saw him go and nobody missed him. Again, metaphor for someone who became a fake a long time ago, but people around him, some people didn't realize it. <sighs> he is going to get in a cab and the driver looks like Bruzy. Then he goes to his kept woman's apartment. So we're working through his crimes, right? From most recent to oldest. First, we see Bruzy, because he just killed him, allegedly. Second, we meet. I, I will say her name one time, Kitten. Okay, that's what they call her. This has got to be the worst part of any story you're ever going to hear. It's definitely what makes this story very hard to take. The whole scene in her apartment is revolting in every possible way. The way they have her do once again, you know, this is the problem with the 60s already. We had this a couple times in the past few weeks, different shows, different series. The sex kitten voice, his treatment of her, of course he kills her. We're not going to play that part. But even if he didn't, it's just so horrible. The whole thing, so sexist. It's just such an incredible fail. <sighs> they have him. They don't even just have him treat her like a thing. She is a thing. She's a thing. Unreal as he is supposed to be and cartoonish as the events are supposed to become. This they did not really believe was 100% cartoonish, you can tell, because it's early in the story. We're not even at the airport yet. This is still fairly early on, and so they think this is only slightly cartoonish. I'm going to take a little break just to play this audio for you. Not the whole thing. We're not going to hear the whole thing, just as much as we can take. Walter Walchek. Till a few moments ago, Commissioner Walczak. Commissioner Walczak, embezzler Walczak, now melds into Walczak, the lover. Complete with golden key. Wally, is that you? Yes, kitten. Oh, you scared me. Didn't expect me, eh? Well, not exactly, lover man. Who did you expect that? No, honey boy, I mean in the middle of the afternoon. Ooh. No one, Big Daddy. There's no one but you in the whole, whole world. Yeah. You've got the key, lover. Only you. Yeah. Number one, man, huh? Number one, Daddy-o. That's good. So he's going to go into some fugue state where he's imagining she's his mother, and when she's not, he kills her. But of course, first she has to actually start trying to claw him for the money. It's hard to take her as the first example of cartoonism because every show treated women like cartoons to begin with. But we have to somehow let this go. So he 
has allegedly now killed Bruzy, Granite, and I won't say her name again. So we've got three fake names, three murders. So we, again, I think we're still at this point thinking, mm, boy, <laughs> he's on a downward spiral. Maybe he deserves it. Kind of want him to die now. And then at last we get to the airport. Walk, don't run, the nearest dispenser of escape. Buy a ticket to anywhere, because you're nowhere, man. Announcing the arrival of a just-deported jet from here to there and back. Now offloading on ramp 7. Passengers incoming from offloading can claim baggage sooner than later. Yes, sir. What can I do for you, sir, in this jet-paced age of shrinking horizons? Name your destination and we'll put you there. You sound like Kitten. The subjects travel at supersonic speed. Don't change it. You look like Kitten. How many and where to? Uh, two. To where? You don't Kitten. I'm not Kitten. State your business and make it brief. Our clientele consists of men of decision, men of action. Others need not apply. Where to does you two wish to go? Mexico. Too easy. No further? No further. Not now. Very well. With us, the customer is King, Your Majesty. Thank you. Two tickets for Mr. King. And wife? Uh, yes. Yes, of course. And wife. Now, I'm not here to tell you this is well-written. I don't think it's particularly well-written, but the idea is good. You think at this point when you realize, like, wait, this clearly isn't real. You can think a number of things, right? It's a profitable little twist here that could make many things possible. That he is still in his office hallucinating that his guilt for murdering three people is now playing on him, that he's starting to lose it. He killed these people so he would be safe, but now he's not safe. You could go a number of ways. We are going to get this very brief little audio from the announcer. This is like our part two break as we head to the conclusion, where he now, and this is a nice touch, I can't think off the top of my ghosting of another episode where the host, the announcer of the show, enters the episode in this way to be as garbled up and weird as the woman was at the ticket desk at the airport. Notice what he's talking about in his little spiel. On page 663 of volume 10 of the Encyclopedia Britannica, it says, quote, Few physical phenomena are roughly as well known to everybody as gravitation, end quote. Which is to say, and the encyclopedia goes on for the next 18 pages of fine print to say that everything that goes up must come down. Including men who climb the ladder of power, but their corruption forces them down. They are pushed out a window. So this is a well-done reminder that all of this story is happening in one and a half seconds as a man falls irretrievably in the grasp of gravity falling to the pavement. It's really well done. I mean, you get that fairly good piece of writing right after the terrible piece of writing. It's still not as good as what as what's coming with his wife. We are going to get to a much better written segment here with his wife, but this is the turning point where you realize, okay, this is not a straightforward 
story. Something is up. But I don't think most people are questioning yet that he is still alive. You don't quite go that far. They save that to the very end in a good piece of writing, a really good piece of writing. This is all going to end in good writing. So we are going to try to get past the whole kept woman thing and get past this not so great writing with the ticket agent to get what's really good with his wife. And I couldn't play the whole thing with her, but it's well done. It has really good energy, very good pacing. And she is actually well written. And what's interesting about her, after all of our legitimate complaining about how women are portrayed is, she is aware that she is a cartoon. I'm your long-suffering wife. I've played the empty role of your wife. It adds a dimension to this that's really good. Yes, Nellie, I'm home. Early, aren't you? Little? Here, for you. Roses, how nice. Why? Must there be a reason? I suppose not really, but there usually is. Birthday, anniversary, guilty conscience. Can't a man bring his wife roses just because he loves her? Love? After all these years of silent sufferance? I was never a very demonstrative person. That you weren't. But I shall change. You'll see. It's not too late. What do you say? How about a little kiss, sweetie? Perhaps you'd better not try to change so suddenly. I bought you something else. What? Tickets. Airplane tickets. We gotta go away. Where? Mexico. First. Later, further. I don't know. Why? I killed some people this afternoon. Who? Granite and that bruiser of his, Bruzy, to name two. It's about time. I never did like them, either one of them. Me neither. I tossed Bruzy out the window. I shot Granite with his gun. I have to cut in to say how much I like that. Oh, wouldn't you like that in many other stories where someone, instead of 15 minutes of cat and mousing, would just say, well, I shot a couple people today. Those are just the ones I shot. Uh, I also killed some other people in other ways. And the wife to just say, okay, good, sounds good. <laughs> At this point in meeting his wife, we think, oh, well, maybe she is just as, well, maybe she's still on his side or something. Maybe she could get on his side with this. Instead, we go into this well-written piece, well-delivered by this voice actor, of how she will turn his plan to escape into her plan for his murder. And this rolls us right through to the ending, which is just really well done. This whole final scene is just so well done. We're not even going to waste time right now saying, why did the middle have to be so bad? Which we'll, we'll come back to that. But for now, let's roll through and let's appreciate. Believe me, if I were planning a murder, I would be more thorough. Suppose, for instance, I wanted to murder you. Why me? Why not you? Haven't you given me sufficient reason? For 20 years, I've played the empty role of your wife while you husbanded one floozy after another. Oh, now, Nellie... There's no room for argument. I don't want to discuss it. It's true. We both know it. True. And it's grounds for murder, isn't it, Walter? But murder would get me nothing just any day of any week, would it? So I would have to plan carefully. And wait patiently if I wanted to murder you. 
I would need the money, all that lovely cash money you've hoarded in that safe deposit box for years. Yes, I should want all of that. And you do have it all on you, don't you, Walter? Look, Nellie, we're going to miss that plane. Oh, yes, and I'd need a plane ticket to make my getaway. Two would be even better, since who knows, there might be someone who'd want to go with me. And you've been good enough to bring two plane tickets. Please, Nellie, pull yourself together and... and... then I'd need a murder weapon, and you've provided that with unaccustomed thoughtfulness, Walter. Your own gun. The gun with which you killed Granite. A gun covered with your fingerprints. Notice I wrap my hand in a handkerchief before I pick it up. So if I were to shoot you and leave the gun by your side, it would look like suicide. Nellie, this joke has gone far enough. Joke? I see nothing funny about it, Walter. But there remains one thing lacking in my premeditated murder of you, my dear husband, and that's motive. Immediate motive, that is. Say, proof of infidelity sufficiently humiliating to make me want to murder you now. Nellie! And this, too, you've provided. The roses to cover the guilt. But they didn't wipe away the lipstick from your collar, Walter. They weren't strong enough to overpower the cheap perfume of your little kitten, Walter. Nelly, for God's sake, put that gun down! A man's body falling from a great height and striking an unyielding surface such as concrete will often make sound exactly like a revolver shot. Commissioner Walczak's body did. Girl, <laughs> well done. We just sat listening for 25 minutes to one and a half seconds of someone's consciousness unravel. And we realized that Bruzy pushed him out the window. He didn't know karate or judo or whatever he claimed to know. He would never have had the courage to stand up to Bruzy. Goodness knows, maybe the whole thing was a hallucination. The episode begins with them saying, Commissioner Walchick stood in his office with his back to the window facing these two men. He stood defiantly. Maybe that's the first, the first lie. Maybe that's the first moment. Maybe he already went out the window before the episode began, and that's the first fantasy that he has, that he would ever have the courage to stand up to these guys, to ever walk away from his corruption and say, I'm not doing it anymore. But if he had really had that moment, it did not lead him to actually be able to prevent his own death. He was pushed out that window very easily. And in that one and a half seconds, the life flashes before your eyes, and everybody who you've wronged goes through your mind. And you picture what your wife might do if she ever had a chance to get even with you, and when she shoots you, you've hit the ground. Ah, oh, it's really well done. If I could get over the whole middle segment with his kept woman, if I could just push that out of the window of my mind, this would be A+. plus. I can't, so it's not going to be A+, plus, but I think credit to them for an ambitious idea that was very well realized. The sexism fails it. I mean, it's a sexism fail. You can't succeed when you fail. 
But at least there was a woman at the end who helped to make up for that. Tremendous voice acting from her and really well done. She walked that line of cartoonish, but she was all too real. It's fitting that her pulling the trigger on him is what really ends it. Oh, that was out the window by suspense. Not what we expected. So close to being an A-lister in our cauldron. Let's get those end credits. Suspense. You've been listening to Out the Window, written for suspense by William N. Robeson. You just about rock. In a moment, the names of our players and a word about next week's story of Suspense. in tonight's story were Santos Ortega as Walchak, Jane Hussack as Kitten, and Ginger Jones as Nellie. Rock. Others in the cast included Roger DeCoven, George Matthews, Sam Raskin, and Marilyn Cole. Listen again next week when we return with The Perfect Plan by Peter Fernandez. Another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. News analysis next, followed by the latest CBS News, and have gun will travel on CBS Radio. DeCoven? He's one of those 40,000 Martians who are on the earth. Somebody has to stop him. What time is it? Is tonight the night of the attack? DeCoven, we have to flash back to our recent experience with zero hour, don't we? Well, not for long, because we're focused back on this episode. That was Out the Window by Suspense, and we are fairly happy with it. Good gathering around the cauldron. And this is another good example, right, of an episode where even when the plot really relies on a twist, listening to it again, when you already know what's going to happen and there will not be any surprise in that twist, does not ruin it. When you know what's coming at the end, you can pay more attention to what is happening before the end, and you can appreciate how it sets up the end in ways you didn't realize at first, how good it can be, the contrast it provides. So I think we'll all be listening to this again. At some point, our own little burgeoning cauldrons will bring it back to us. Right? We'll be doing that wherever we are in Buenos Aires, Beckton, Portsmouth, Minot, or Covington. That's the promise we make to ourselves and to each other and to our genre each week. So, with that positive thinking in place, let's make sure we are moving forward in time as we go our way this week. Be safe, be happy. And I'll see you soon. Go ahead, Brucey. Yes. Come on, Brucey.